create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is perception, not the truth. That quote is from Marcus Aurelius, Roman Emperor, from 161 to 180 AD. His beliefs and philosophy are respected and followed by thought leaders today. If this quote is accurate, and I believe it is, it means that all our beliefs about ourselves and the world are made-up stories. The only way to achieve happiness and success is to step into the courage to change your stories as you live and grow. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I have found that one of the most powerful and enjoyable ways to grow, expand, and enrich our lives is to read great books. And our sponsor, Audible, has made that easy and fun for you by offering you an audiobook of your choice absolutely free that you can download at their website, www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. You get to choose the book that you want from more than 180,000 titles, and you get access for a month to all of Audible services absolutely free. When you get something of value from this podcast, go to iTunes Look for the title, Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Leave a brief review and a rating for the show. A great way to pay this forward and to create more visibility and share this with more people. Keep your comments coming about what you're enjoying and also what you'd like to see in the show going forward. Send your comments to loseclub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. Today's guest is a woman who has evolved her story many times and will probably continue to do so. She's a storyteller, a former broadcast journalist who won an Associated Press Award for her first on-air story about homeless people. She covered Bill Clinton's campaign, she worked in local government, and she's even been once a talking Christmas tree. <laughs> today, That's a true story. I know. Today she features powerful transformational life stories on her podcast called Reboots. Listen, learn, and have fun today with Tracy Winchell. Tracy, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. What a privilege it is to be on your show, Lewis. Thank you so much. I love what you do. Thank you so much. 
And I'm going to tell the audience what I told you. This woman has a great voice. She should be doing voiceover work. So I'm not going to ask you the first question. I'm going to ask you, tell me about being a talking Christmas tree. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, um, I, I actually got my first job when I was, I don't know, 14. That was the legal working age in, in I guess, the 70s at that time. Um in in Arkansas, and uh, one of our dear family friends owned a children's clothing store in our neighborhood mall, and she put me to work. And um, it was pretty easy at Christmas time to put me to work in a talking Christmas tree. My job was to engage with people walking by, and um, just kind of have fun. And we did that. It was awesome. Were you dressed as a Christmas tree? No, this was a big, tall Christmas tree on a, um, oh, it was probably a four to five foot pedestal that I would sneak into through a door and lock it behind me. And I sat there in the floor and I could see through two-way mirrors um, all all the way around. It was probably not 360 because my back was against the wall. Um, but I could watch people coming by. And there was also a string I could pull to make the lips of the tree move that had a face. And Whoa. then we had a neat little PA <laughs> system. We piped in cassettes at that time were big. And I, I, I wore out Carpenter's Christmas CDs. Or, or uh, uh, tapes. Yeah, that was you fun. Know, I did that for several years, Lewis. I just had an image of myself walking by that Christmas tree, perhaps having smoked the joint. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and the tree begins to talk, and I freeze in my tracks, and I go home, and I never, never light up again. You have <laughs> no idea how many times I enjoyed putting myself in that situation, people walking by, man, I'd, I'd, I'd get them. Now, whether they, whether they were lit up or decided not to light up again, I don't know, but I had a blast doing that. After, yes. you know, about 8 o'clock at night, the kids start to go home and go to bed, and the, the, the crowd changes and gets a little sparse, and you get bored. So, yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> so Awesome. I know that you called yourself a born storyteller. So what does storytelling mean to you? I grew up in a family of storytellers. My dad was an incredible storyteller, and his little sister, my Aunt Jo, is, is a great storyteller. And he brought these characters to life from his small town in Danville, Arkansas, and one of he he there were just all of these characters and I always thought they were made up until he began to introduce me to them as I was older. And there was this one guy. Here's an example. Sometimes they were just for entertainment, but sometimes there was a message behind them. One of my favorite of my dad's characters, who was a real man, was a guy named Hogjaw Wilson. I have no idea what his first name is, but he was a house painter and during the Yale County Free Fair every year, he apparently had the best burgers at the fair. My dad used to kind of, he'd, he'd invoke Hogjaw Wilson's wisdom 
when I wouldn't quite be getting it right on on a chore or a job or painting or something like that. And he'd, he'd talk about Hogjaw Wilson. He'd say, Hogjaw Wilson used to say, ar, 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 you can't paint with a dry brush. <laughs> <laughs> and so you think about that, Lewis, and it has become a metaphor for me my entire life that, you know, sometimes it is about the paint. It's better to put on too much paint than not enough. You can always kind of clean up the drips. But it's also, it also applies to so many other things in life. If you're going to do something, do it with vigor and worry about cleaning up the mess later. And so I grew up around stories like that all the time. And I, I, I wish he had used the recorder I got him before he died to invoke this wisdom. And because he's only been gone um, six years and I've already forgotten the bulk of so many of these wonderful stories. I remember the punchlines, but I can't tell the stories right. You're talking about your dad, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, what's, what's interesting is it sounds to me like you got hooked on the power of storytelling. You realized how stories could get to you make you think, make you feel, and then change you. Absolutely. Yeah. By the way, what did your mom and dad do? Um, my dad was uh, a claims supervisor. Um, that's uh, three or four rungs up from uh, being an adjuster. And I can remember being little when he was an adjuster, and he would take me to car wrecks, and he would show me the police reports. And I'm talking four or five years old, and he would show me um, uh, what he was doing when he investigated. Um, we, we weren't on the scene. He was always at a junkyard, and he would look at the vehicle, and he would show me where the paint hit here, where the, the front end hit here, and then he would show me the diagrams, and um, he was very good at what he did. He was always going to be an attorney. He, like I said, he was a born storyteller, and he would put that, that – uh, country boy kind of um, uh, dialogue, dialect on, but he was a brilliant man. And there were a lot of family-related reasons why he did not become a lawyer. And part of it had to do with my mom and me. He decided he'd much rather stay home with us than go to law school at night after he paid off um my grandmother's home and that's kind of a, a whole different side story so mm -hmm. you know he was willing to give up a life's ambition because he found a life that for him was better mm, that's beautiful and then your mom what my mom has had a number of careers um she met my dad working at uh, uh an insurance company in little rock and was doing secretarial work, and she ended up, um, uh, gosh, I'm going to get the order of this wrong. She was a travel agent and traveled all over the world, and our, one, once uh, the travel agency she, agency she was managing burned down one Saturday night, and uh, man, that was a mess. We That was back when they actually issued tickets, and my job was to take those tickets and dry them out so we could get the serial numbers off them. Um, but she's been a travel agent. She's worked in um, uh, adult special services, um, and she spent the last, I don't know, 
couple of decades uh, uh, managing uh, retirement facilities. Hmm. Yeah. Would you say that storytelling has been part of every kind of work you've ever done? Oh, absolutely. No that, question. And how? How did you incorporate it into different kinds of work? Um, you know, my, my first job was or going through school. Uh, I was an intern at KARK-TV in Little Rock. And um, that was less about uh, being the, the person telling the story and more about understanding what it takes to pull off a television newscast and tell 30-second story promos. I worked in the promo department. Um, so how am I going to tell a 30-second story for a divorce court? Um, what does it take to, to uh, put on a newscast that tells the story of everything locally that happened uh, that day? Um, then I moved on. Um, it was sort of a fluke decision to, to actually go on the air. So if, if I'm producing a newscast, um, yeah, I'm, I'm telling stories within stories. I'm helping reporters tell their stories. Um, and then when I'm, when I'm producing features, I'm actually telling the story about what it takes to make jars of molasses or whatever. Um, after I left television, I worked for nine years in the financial services industry. Um, and the idea was to transition me to marketing as quickly as possible. So I was telling all sorts of stories about um, what the uh, stock market means to someone's 401k um, and um, why it's important to do financial planning, uh, the tax implications of new tax law, all of that. So then I've done a lot of... Uh, uh, radio DJ work for fun, so I'm always telling stories about other human beings who uh, call in, but most of the time I'm getting out of the way and I'm letting the um, the songs tell the story. And then my 12 years in municipal government, um, I'm working to tell stories about um, trash service. Uh, one of my favorite things in municipal government was uh, running a citizen's academy. So we did a 12 or 13 week program and invited people to the Department of Sanitation, the Waterworks Department, the Sewer Department, um, the Streets and Traffic Control, uh, the fire stations, police stations, and we're telling them stories about um, the women and men who do their jobs and silently um, fulfill all of the services that we take for granted as, as citizens. And that was a blast. You know, as you speak, I mean, you, you, you communicate so clearly and so well, and that is one of the, the big uh, perks of mastering or studying and practicing storytelling mm -hmm. because storytelling is about having clear, direct, and powerful communication, whether it's a 30-minute story, 30-second story, a two-hour story, whatever, and you practice those. And now you can hear it, that they're second nature to you, and that's, that's, uh, that's quite wonderful. You know, you mentioned being in financial planning, and 
you probably became aware quickly that that is a world that really needs to learn storytelling because I used to train financial planners on how to present because they're deadly with their data and the data doesn't speak to the person's heart. Yeah. Right? Yep. It's, all, it's just a bunch of statistics yep. and that's really not what they're selling. They're selling the dream of a, of a great life and the data is only there to back that up. But they used to make their whole story about the data. And oh, yeah. You're right. I mean, and so it's important there if you want to impact lives to be able to tell a great story. By the way, you mentioned they wanted to put you in marketing. You're familiar with Joe Polish? Just barely over the past couple of weeks or so. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't been able to um, read much of his work. His name just kind of crossed my screen the other day, and I'm, I'm anxious to learn more about him. Well, all you need to do, you don't have to read anything. You just can go to, he has several podcasts. One of them is um, I Love Marketing, and the other one is The Genius Network. And I bring him up because he says, sales is influence, marketing is storytelling. Oh, wow, yeah. Now, he's brilliant. So um, you'll find him very inspiring. This is a guy who was a um, um, addicted to crack cocaine. He was on a, a, a quick, a very fast track to death. And he was broke. And today, he's one of the most powerful and influential uh, men probably on the planet. The Genius Network, he runs, and you can't join the Genius Network for, I think, I think it's 25K. Oh, my. That's per year. Wow. That's a membership site. Well, it's a membership, not a site, but, and he's drawn to the Genius Network. People like Elon Musk, like Peter Diamandis, like Tony Robbins. I mean, this, you know, he's mm. from being a disaster to being a master. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah, it is. Did you ever want to be a filmmaker? No, I didn't. Um, I think uh, early on, uh, I think as a freshman in college, we did some film type treatments i liked writing the script for my team project uh, but there were too many moving parts for me i i think if i were going to tell if i if i had wanted to tell stories a different way i i think it would have been cool to do some songwriting and i actually tried that i i as much as I love music, I don't create it well. I don't understand it well at all. And I also can't quite get down the the um, economy of words that is necessary to uh, to spin a good lyric. But oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, 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 I like to write and I like to deliver some of what I write. I'm fine with other people delivering some of what I write too. You know, mentioning, you mentioned songwriting. Maybe if you find a, 
uh, a partnership with a really good songwriter and you can inspire them with your ideas for stories and they mm. can translate them into songs. <laughs> that might be cool because uh, yeah, the yeah. world is a lot small, a lot smaller than it was, you know, 20 or 30 years ago when I was kind of considering that and trying to teach myself music. I just never picked it up real well. I, I took piano for three years and I never got past chopsticks. I just didn't get it. Uh, I like the fact you said it's, the world is smaller. It's going to become yeah. tiny in a few years because of oh, yeah. the, the digital technology. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yep. So tell us about the pivotal event that rocked your world. Well, there have been several pivotal events in my life, but I think the, the one that that began to rock everything was when my dad died. He was 80 years old, um, but I figured out that I had been handling grief and loss poorly since I was about six years old. It wasn't through anybody's fault. It's just, I think, how I'm, how I'm wired. I, I grieve heavily um and with each loss the loss of my aunt the loss of you know uh friendships and all of these things you know i was um not quite 50 when my dad died and that was the realization of my lifetime greatest fear the lot the loss of my mom or my dad and man um that was a hard slog uh, when he died, real hard slog. And how did it begin to change your perception of the world and change your story? Um, I started confronting my own flaws and my own lies that I had told myself for years about um, expectations you know, um, I always thought that I didn't have any excuses that I was born to succeed. And when I did well, um, professionally, I took no, um, pride in it really in terms of, I, I didn't take time to celebrate it is probably the, the better term because I thought it was expected of me. And it wasn't, these weren't expectations my folks set. These were expectations I set of me. And um, for a long time, I got lost in work, whatever that career turn was. And I didn't value lifelong friendships. Um, and it, it, I'm still working on all of that. Uh, six years later, I'm a lot better. Um, but that forced me to become a lot more introspective and to see my life a lot more honestly and to know I needed to make some changes in how I saw myself, how I saw my relationship with the world. And, um, I needed to change some habits and, I needed to align my priorities with what I had always said my priorities were. Wow. That's um, a lot of growth. You know, you mentioned when I was reading a bit about your bio that you, as the death of a best friend, was that your dad you were referring to? Um, 
No, uh, in the last two or three years, I lost a, a close friend. Um, a long time ago, I realized that to try to keep a best friend is probably not fair. I, there are a lot of people that I love and cherish. Um, I'm lucky enough to, to call you know, six or eight people, lifelong friends. I mean, I've known since I was in the crib. Um, my friend Ray was a more recent friend, and he was my friend before he was my boss. There were three of us who who hung out a lot. Um, confirmed singles, no pressure. We just loved to laugh and hang out together. And um, that translated to a family friendship when my mom and dad moved from Little Rock to Western Arkansas to Fort Smith, Arkansas. Um, so um, Ray became a dear family friend, and then he became my boss in a in a high profile situation. And um, because he was a pro, because I've always tried to be a pro. That friendship had to take a back seat, and we even talked about that. Hey, you're my boss now, a direct report boss, and that means that our relationship will change for a season, but we had always planned that after that, we were going to be friends again, and he walked in one day, um, and he uh, abruptly retired um, he didn't tell me about it. He sent an email to 900 city employees and the board of directors and the media. And everybody came in looking at me, trying to figure out if I had known, and I hadn't. And when he finally came out of his office after being, um, you know, taking care of some other personal business, um, I actually hugged him for the first time in a long time. I said, oh, man, I've got my friend back. This is so awesome. Turned out when he when he resigned, part of the reason he resigned, not a huge reason, um, there were a lot of different reasons, is that his bosses, elected officials, wanted a whole lot of different changes made, um, including some changes of um, uh, senior management, including me. And he wasn't going to do any of that. Um, and he just thought the right thing to do was retire. And, and I'm not going to judge whether or not um, the elected officials are right or wrong. They got paid very poorly to make some really tough decisions. I'm, I'm not disputing that, but, but I ended up losing my job. And the idea, I think for both of us, we would have lunch or hang out with my mom or something, but we didn't spend a lot of time together. The idea was that we both kind of needed to heal from a really high pressure situation that we'd always have the rest of our lives to hang out. So I wasn't seeing him very much. And then he got pancreatic cancer, and three weeks later he was gone. Wow. wow. And it was devastating. You know, here, I, here, I've, here I've, sold, I've, I've lost my job. I've sold my house. I've moved in with my mom. I'm starting a consulting business. Things are going pretty well. And I wake up one morning, and oh, by the way, Ray's gone. Wow, wow. Now, what, what was the position where he was your boss? Uh, he was the city administrator in a city manager form of government, and I was the communications manager in our local municipality. Mm, that's powerful. Wow. Yeah. Did, 
did storytelling at that time, and even now, help you to cope with suffering and pain? Yeah, I, I was able to tell myself the truth about loss, whereas I had done a miserable job when my dad died. Um, I actually cared that there were a lot of other people in pain when Ray died. And um, I was able to tell myself um, that I'm not the only one who's hurting. And the other thing is, um, I'm able to tell myself um, that I'm not the only, that I'm not, that I've never died before. You know, so some of the decisions he, he made in his final hours, I don't understand. I want to understand them, but I won't ever. And that has to be okay. And I, it, it is, it is futile to judge his actions because I've never been where he was before in his final days. So the story that I tell myself, which is the truth, I've never been told I have three weeks to live before. Mm. Yeah. And that is a story that leads to gratitude. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Big time. Gratitude practice is a big deal. I have doubled down on my gratitude practice the past year. Uh, I do a gratitude few minutes every morning and then every evening before I go to bed. Absolutely. It changes our brains. It rewires our physical brains. Gratitude is awesome. Every major thought leader teaches that. I have been part of a, a gratitude circle for about seven or eight years. I'm not always diligent with it, but the goal is that every day the group will email to each other 10 things that we're grateful for. Mm. That's and, powerful, Lewis. Yeah, it is. It really is powerful. Um, I mean, I've heard thought leaders say their rule is they don't get out of bed in the morning until they have such a feeling of gratitude that there's tears in their eyes. And that sets them up for a really positive and productive day. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very, very, for many people, an underrated and powerful emotion. I agree. Um, and a game changer. Now, oh, absolutely, without question. I'm curious about why did you leave broadcast journalism? That you <laughs> liked it so much. <laughs> I did. Um, but, you know, I said earlier, I was always going to be in television, not on it. When I was in junior high, I knew I was going to be in television. But after I got into television, um, a, a couple of friends who became very close friends, um, one still is, the other is now deceased. Um, they were anchors at Channel 4. And um, they heard my voice on the radio, and that was sort of an accident, too. Um, but they said, man, you got a really good voice. You, you should go on the air. And so for me, that entailed a complete makeover because <laughs> um, I've, I've never been much of a makeup person. And it, it involved me going upstairs to uh, the president of a little holding company that had three television stations and saying, um, I think 
I'm supposed to come and tell you I want to be on the air. And he says, well, this is a, nearly a top 50 market. You're not going to go to work here. So do you want Meridian or El Paso? And this 19-year-old goob said, uh, well, which town is closest to home? <laughs> so he sent me to the Meridian, Mississippi. So that whole thing was, look, I'm going to give this a try for two years. Um, I, I left Meridian, came to Fayetteville, Arkansas for a year, and then moved to Fort Smith. So by the time the Clinton campaign is over, I've been in television for seven years. I have learned a ton, so much. I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. But I used to talk about how broadcast television was getting paid poorly to do things mother told you never to do. And I was really tired of getting paid poorly, and I was kind of over the um, going 90 miles an hour down um, a curvy road to get to a fire. I was certainly over um, covering the fatality fires um, and traffic accidents. Um, those uh, wear on me even today. Hmm. Hmm. And you told that story beautifully. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm now, used to telling that one, Lewis. Now, well, what motivated you to begin your podcast, uh, Reboots? Well, um, enduring a profound reboot um, that has that has kind of manifest manifested itself in a lot of different ways over the years. Um, and I was having lunch with my friend Arthur Green, who um, is a bassist for, get this, a Christian heavy metal band. Um, living sacrifice is a whole big deal. I never knew it, even after I met Arthur. Um, but anyway, they've gone on world tour. There's a cult-like following. Arthur and I, we were having lunch. Um, he was trying to encourage me to sort of figure out my way after Ray died. Um, I fired all of my clients, wrapped up all of the business that I had going in, in terms of a consulting business because I'd always said I wanted to do a podcast after I got my business established. And then when Ray died, I thought, no, because if I go down this road, I won't ever go down the other road. And so um, uh, I, I, just, I went in full bore for the next few months trying to develop a podcast. And, and I wanted to talk about life transformations, a lot like the ones you hear on your show. And Arthur is just incredibly creative. And we kicked that around for a little bit. And we came up with reboots. And he's a visual guy. He's a graphics guy. And I said, so is this a computer reboot? He said, no, I think it's a, a gnarly, old, worn-out boot. And before I knew it, Lewis, he had delivered to me my podcast artwork. Mm. Yeah, good yeah, guy. Which, uh, which, is a, which is a boot. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's wonderful. Who are your heroes? Um... I think my very first hero was probably my Uncle Howard. He was overseas a lot. Um, I got to hear less uh, um, um, 
audio letters from him. First time I'd ever seen a reel-to-reel um, from Vietnam. Um, and I, I include my Aunt Geraldine and um, my cousins Kay and Gerald in this because they were also deployed overseas with my Uncle Howard, who was a Green Beret, um, an incredible linguist. Um, he was deployed numerous times to Vietnam and um, man he was a good guy after he retired and came home and um, moved to Danville um, uh, he became one of my best buds uh, he taught me how to ride a horse taught me how to drive a car um, I put a big scratch down the side of one of his beater cars when we were headed into the pasture and you know I'm just like and he's holding the gate and and I get through there, and he's laughing his head off, and he says, Joe Bob, that's my family name, sorry, Joe Bob, uh, you think maybe the next time you start to scrape the car, you might want to stop and back up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, my Uncle Howard. But really, um, just about anyone who serves um, in a position that they are risking their life or their emotional health um, to be of service. And, and I mean that in terms of uh, women and men in um, the armed service. Um, some of my closest friends are firefighters and the things that they go through, they don't ever want anyone to know um, the, the, the psychological issues that sometimes they have to deal with because of the service that they provide. And, of course, uh, police officers and their family members. The, the family member of, of especially a, a police officer or a firefighter, they don't ever know if their loved one is coming home. And um, they don't talk about that much. So, you know, just about anybody who, who answers the call at their own silent peril for the sake of someone else, yeah, I'm probably going to classify them as a hero. Wow. I should connect you with three of my recent podcast guests. John Krotek, who runs uh, Green Zone Hero. He's a veteran. Josh Mance, who not only fought in Iraq, but was killed mm. by a sniper bullet and came back to life after 15 minutes. Holy smokes. Oh, yeah. And Richard Caruso, who was a Marine and then a law enforcement. He was a prison guard in Corcoran State Prison, one of the most horrible prisons in the United States where he looked after inmates like Charlie Manson mm. and uh, Siran Siran mm. and also became a whistleblower to stop violence against inmates at Corcoran Prison. Good on him. Yeah, and they made a movie about uh, Richard, uh, Richard's story called uh, well. Felon. Felon with uh, Val Kilmer. But really, uh, these would be people that you should probably have on reboots. 
Oh well, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm looking for somebody to interview uh, as part of uh, um, our Veterans Day um, efforts this this fall. So yeah. Wow. Well, you her. this is gonna don't get too excited when I tell you this, but guess what? These guys are involved with right now. What? Well, well, two of them are. Two of them are right now with um, the walk, uh, walking with the wounded. You know what that is? Um, there are a bunch of them, and so I'm I, I I may be confusing this one with some others. So tell me about it. Well, this is a, a walk across the America, uh, to honor veterans, and it's being sponsored by Prince Harry, oh, and uh, Richard Caruso is part of it. And so is John Crotech. How yeah. cool is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll connect yeah, yeah, yeah. you after after we uh, we're done here. You Thank definitely, you, Louis. Yeah, I think uh, you guys would um, definitely connect on a really good level. Yeah, sure. So, what are other stories that you want to tell and live into in your life? You know, I I love sharing reboots stories. Um, what I have found um, in telling my story um, is um, redemption. You know, uh, Viktor Frankl got it right. Uh, there is redemption in suffering. And so one of the basic questions that I ask guests is, where do you share your story and why? And and, and the Reboots podcast um we share a variety of stories. I'm pretty heavy into recovery stories. Um, I'm about to get a five-year chip from Celebrate Recovery, uh, Christ-based um, 12-step program, um, uh, Victory Over Unresolved Grief. And so I share a lot of my friends' recovery stories, but I also share a lot of business and entrepreneurial stories. Um, I have built a platform that I want to be welcoming of all faiths and no faiths, which means that I share a lot of stories across a real broad spectrum. And I think that um, what I hope I'm creating is a, is, a, is a tapestry of hope so that um, anyone who has any sort of an issue and they think things are hopeless where they are, there may be a voice in their ear, earbud who can, you know, start off by saying, here's what my life is like now. And then, oh, by the way, here is the loss and the pain that I have felt. And here's how I did it. Mm. And so I think that's really important because, you know, Lewis, you and I can speak truth into other people's lives where our stories are concerned. But I have some close friends who have survived um, opiate addictions. They don't want to be called addicts. They don't even want to be called former addicts. They want to be treated as human beings. And so what happens is there is this, this opiate stigma, if you will. And um, while I'm well-versed in the 12 steps of recovery, and I, and I do um, sponsor some who have dealt with uh, chemical addiction, some aren't going to believe anything I tell them. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't either. I needed people to speak truth to me about how grief impacted their lives. And then I started paying attention, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
the stories that I want to tell, what, what I've already learned in the past year is that there are four basic attributes to navigating a reboot. We've got to understand where we fit into the universe. We're not the center of the universe. For me, it's important to understand how God sees me and how and and he sees me as someone he cherishes and loves. Um, the other thing is I, I want people to understand that you're exactly right, Lewis. The stories we tell ourselves, sometimes they're lies, and how we see ourselves is super important. And the only way we're going to understand when we're telling ourselves the truth about ourselves or lies is to have the right community around us. And then um, the fourth thing that I've discovered, and this is this is a big deal for me, I've spent a lot of my life asking why questions. Why do kids die from abuse? That really ticks me off, right? Who it, and it does everybody. But that's kind of a waste of time because until we accept life on its terms, um, we're going to spin our wheels a lot. The right why question for me is um, why do I want to build this new habit? Why do I want to quit this new habit? Why is it important for me to train my brain to tell myself the right story about me and my relationship to other people? And I think those things are super important that I've just discovered really um, from reflecting on 24, 25, 26 uh, reboots episodes and just trying to uh, distill those common traits and I'm excited about telling those stories. I can hear it and you just delivered some amazing gems. A few of them um, that um, jumped to mind. You said sometimes we tell ourselves stories that are lies. I would say all stories are made up that doesn't denigrate the value of our quote-unquote positive stories. It just means that we are creating reality all the time. So if that's the case, then we would be better served to always choose the empowering story. Mm -hmm. They're all made up. Everything is made up. Well, and it's interesting you opened you opened this show with uh, um, the, the 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 stoic mm. quote. Yeah, and yeah, and and one of my favorite quotes that helps me understand my place in the world is uh, Ryan Holiday's "The Obstacle Is the Way." The, the, yeah. that, that quote jumped off the page at me when he said, "The world is at best indifferent to us." Yeah. Absolutely. And, and of course, Ryan Holiday's book is based on Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. The other thing that you said that's really valuable for people to get, you spent a lot of time asking why questions. Um, I have a book. I don't know if it's published anymore, but it's called The Magic in asking or the magic of asking the right questions. And basically what it 
shows us is that the questions you ask determine the answers that you get. So you'd better be very, very aware of the question, the language you're using when you ask a question. A simple example is something bad happens and we say, why did that happen to me? Wrong question. Don't ask that question. Why? Because the mind will immediately create a story, a narrative that is not going to be very empowering. In fact, it's going to create a powerful victim story. Why yeah. did that happen to me? It happened to me because that kind of stuff always happens to me. It happened to me because I have such bad luck. Blah, 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 blah. However, if something quote unquote bad happens, and instead you ask, how can I make this great? You'd be astonished at the empowering answers that you'll get. Yeah, I'm with you. And it, I've used it and it works. I used to be a person who always asked, why did this happen to me? Well, I put it to the test when I crashed a Mercedes Benz, my first Mercedes Benz that hmm. I absolutely loved. It was a new car. And instead of asking, why did this happen today? I said, how could I make this great? And the result was that I didn't have 10 minutes of regret, but I came up with a whole bunch of reasons about why this was actually a good thing. Number one, I wasn't hurt. Number two, no one else was hurt. Number three, I was going to save money uh, because I wasn't going to drive a car for a while. I went on and on and on and I felt fabulous. Mm. It That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I went without a car for three years because of that. So the first time I, I uh, caused damage to my vehicle, uh, I was maybe 16, and I had to come home and say, well, Daddy, I, I, I sort of uh, rear-ended a guy and messed up the grill of my car. And he was watering the yard, and he says, well, are you hurt? No, sir. Is anybody else hurt? No, sir. And this tells how long this is, how long ago this was. You got a hundred dollars for the deductible? Yes, sir. Well, I reckon it'll be all right then. And he never looked up at me. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's great. So I was going to ask you what excites you the most in life. But I think you might have answered that already. Yeah, I think so. You yeah. know, <laughs> what would you say to people who don't think that they can be storytellers? Um, I think you are a storyteller. You may not know it. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like your, um, your ebook give, um, what is it? Uh, storytelling secrets. I like that book. If you don't think you're a storyteller and that you can't be a storyteller, download that book on Lewis's site. Um, and, and, um, if just, one of one of my previous favorite storytelling resources is uh, Donald Miller's Story Formula. Um, I I don't remember the name of the the ebook, but um, he's got this. You know, it's a filmmaker's type um, template, and there's an ebook that he provides that helps you build that narrative about yourself in about 15 minutes. It's pretty good, too. I know. It's Story Brand. He has his own podcast. 
That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's, it's great stuff. Uh, and it's true. It's it's very, very good. Thank you for um, mentioning that to people. Uh, the name of the book they can get at my site at changestorypodcast.com is Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. And I'm glad that you're finding value in it. What would you, now what is your favorite book? Um, I can't pick just one. It's like asking somebody who their favorite child is. No, um, no, I'm going to make you do it. What oh is your, man, you have, Lewis. you've got to see, see, people have to remember them, the meaning, <laughs> the meaning of the word decide, side, the root. <laughs> Side means to kill. And when you make a decision, you kill off all the other options. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Well I've got I've got three. Ah! And I'm gonna I'm gonna do one. Um, um okay. This is this is a recent book. I've read it this year because I read a lot of books. I really like Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. We do not have the right to to stay offended it is harmful to ourselves and to society when we manage to stay offended over silly stuff even big stuff we are we are we are not built to carry around being offended all of the time brant hansen's unoffendable oh i love that and you know what What's your second favorite book? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've mentioned Obstacle is the Way. I really like that. But I've got to go with um, a book that I discovered in the 90s that uh, my doctor actually prescribed for me. Um, and it's called The Lies We Believe by Chris Thurman. Hmm. By Chris Thurman. And you yeah. actually made a reference before, so I know that you've read to Viktor Frankl, so you must have read Man's Search for Meaning. Yes, I've lost count of the number of times I've read that book. That's that's on my list of, of books that I want to read every few years. It is spectacular. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a, go, ahead, it's go a, ahead. It's a quick read, but it is a difficult read. Well, yeah, I mean, the man... The man found happiness, made himself find happiness in a concentration camp. I yeah. mean, that, that's, wow. Yeah. I, I, I find it even, I find it hard as positive as I am, as much work as I do in my head to wrap my brain around that one. That's, that's a tough one. That's yep. a tough one. Wow. Indeed. What about a favorite quote? I love quotes. I have a lot of quotes, and this one is a it, as as much as uh, I use quotes on my phone when I'm dealing with a, a a specific issue and need to be reminded um, to tell myself the right story. Right? Um, I keep quotes in front of me a lot, but the ultimate best quote is from one of my dear friends, Ed Saucier. Um, he I keep trying to get him to write a book. He hasn't done it yet. He is a longtime minister, he's a theologian, and he says, life is meant to be enjoyed even when it must be endured. And I didn't believe him the first time I heard that, and um, over time I have come to embrace it 
because even through tremendous hardship, I know it to be true. I love that. And Saucier is S-A-U-C-I-E-R, right? E-R, yeah. And um, uh, yeah. He, he is one of my uh, recent podcast guests this year. Uh, I think it's maybe episode 21 or 22. It's just a really good guy, a wise man, and a, and a funny man. Mm, love that. You know, when you mentioned Unoffendable, I thought of a book, too. I thought of um, the four agreements, and one of the agreements is uh, you take nothing personally. Ooh, I'm writing it down. Oh, yeah, that's um, Don Miguel Ruiz. Fascinating. The four agreements, when you hear them, are so simple and obvious that you go, what? <laughs> but they're powerful and profound. They will totally change your life if you, if you live by mm. them. Like, be impeccable with your word. Mm. In other words, my word is law. If I say it, I commit to it, and I do it. I mean it. I don't make an excuse and change my mind later. Mm. You know, things like that. Um, and Don Miguel, who wrote this, was a brain surgeon who stopped being a brain surgeon because he said he was more interested in studying the mind than the physical, <laughs> than the physical wow. brain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a beautiful book. And okay. when I think you should also reach out to Joe Polish because he is, um, passionate about Raising the global conversation around addiction. Yeah. And he has, he's part of, he supports a movement called Artists for Addiction. Oh, wow. So I think you would probably, um, get some, uh, value out of, uh, communicating with him through sure. one of his shows through I Love Marketing or Genius Network, etc. Okay. Great stuff. Yeah. If you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world, what would it be? Um, this was between empathy and judging too quickly. And I think if, if like, I think I, I, I would settle on us as human beings have having more empathy for one another, because when we have empathy, it's easier to love others, and when we have empathy, we um, have a tough time judging others, and then maybe the anger wouldn't be making us so miserable as in American society today. Well, global society. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. So where do you see yourself in five years? Um, you know, if you had asked me this 10 years ago, I'd have had a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. Um, heck, if you'd asked me this three years ago, I would still probably have a five-year plan. Um, I work really hard these days at trying to stay focused in, you know, 13 to 15-week increments or less. Um, so in five years, if I have a voice, I hope I am teaching 
somebody something that I know well and that they want to learn. I don't I don't care to teach people things that they don't want to learn because that's sort of Facebook, right? Um, so I, I think I will be teaching and I hope that um, people will say that I am a kind person, which is a radical transformation for me because I can remember um, back in my reporting days, I loved for the other reporters, for the other news agencies to hate my guts. And I don't care for that anymore. Um, I, would, I, I care very much about um, being kind to people. Well, I mean, it's interesting you should say that because just everything you've said, your whole presence on this show, you come across as a very caring person. So when you say you want it, you'd like them to hate your guts, in what way? Um, I wanted to be better than they were. I really liked aggravating them. Um, I would, I, I would be as sneaky as possible to make sure I got the story and they didn't. Um, I wouldn't talk to opposing reporters um, because uh, I didn't want to give anything away. I didn't want to be friends with the enemy. Um, I, I, I've been a pretty hardcore person Tracy, to those I didn't like. Tracy, I wouldn't call that unkind. I'd call it smart. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could achieve similar competitive <laughs> results and and still treat the opposition like a human being today. Okay. Well, imagine yeah, imagine if a fighter got in the ring and said, "I want to win this fight, but I don't want to hurt the other person." <laughs> well, but uh, but that's not. I mean, that's. I don't think that's a fair comparison. Um, did you see? Did you see the story about the high school kid in Minnesota who struck out a batter for the regional championship, and he waved off his catcher running to the the pitcher to the mound, and he said, "No, I'm going to go hug the batter's neck because that guy's been my friend for a lifetime, and I just struck him out." And I will celebrate with you in a second, but I want my friend to know that I love him. So that um, high okay. school kid, that high school kid was hard-nosed, struck the guy out, and there will be time to celebrate later. But now he, he walks up to the batter and he says, um, I just want you to know that I love you and I hope this doesn't have anything in the world to do with our friendship. You played a great game and this loss isn't on you. And I'll see you later. That is a wonderful story. Thank you. That's great. So, yeah, if, if somebody's shooting at me and that has happened before, I'm either going to run or I'm going to shoot back and I'm not playing games. Who's, but, you, whoa, whoa, whoa. When were you, <laughs> when were you shot at? Um, <laughs> uh, it was kind of a common thing out in the rural parts of Arkansas and Oklahoma, but the one I remember best actually had nothing to do with being a reporter. I was, I was, uh, hanging out with my mom and my dad, my aunt, uncle, um, 
my cousin and her, always probably five or six years old at the time, and um, another cousin was taking us to the creek to fish in Mountain View, Arkansas, a rural area, Ozark Mountains, beautiful country. And my I have family up there. And so um, my cousin was going to take us fishing that morning. It was a Sunday morning, and my Aunt Nana always went to church. But we convinced her to skip. And so we're, uh, we uh, had a key to the gate. We walked through the gate, accessed the creek. And this dude in diapers, you know, he was maybe 65 or 70 years old. He looked just like baby Huey. He pulls a long 22 pistol, long nose. I mean, that sucker, it looked mean. But when he started firing at us, it was just pew, pew, pew. And my, my uncle was an uh, an MP in the service. And he's like, that's a 22, but get down. So, yeah, he 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 kind of did, you know, pew, 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 till he ran out of bullets. Um, and then my, my, my little cousin, Stan, who is like 6'6", six, six, he starts being all like um, Andy Griffith, and he stands up, and I hear the Andy Griffith theme, dum da dum dum da dum <laughs> and he starts walking up to baby Huey before he cha- has a chance to reload, and he pulls the gun away from him. He says, don't be sh- shooting at my aunts and uncles and cousins. Go back in the house. Oh, my God. Yeah, we got shot out one Sunday morning. My, oh, wow. I don't think my aunt has ever skipped church again. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a great story. It's oh a my true gosh. story. My it is God. Now, I'm curious, you mentioned before that you were a consultant. And just briefly, what kind of consulting did you do? Oh, I did social media. I didn't like that very much. Um, uh, I helped uh, organizations put together strategic um, communication plans. Small businesses don't really want that, though, um, even though they desperately need it. Um, and, um, let's see, just kind of work like that. I did Mm. some, uh, freelance writing on the side, um, put together a, a, uh, blog for a downtown business association and, and, um, did some feature stories and managed their social media accounts, that kind of stuff. Cool. How can people contact you, Tracy? Well, it's pretty easy. Um, on Facebook, um, all my posts are public. I don't, you know, play silly hide-and-seek games. Uh, if, if I've got something that's private, I don't put it on Facebook. Uh, so Facebook is Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y dot W-I-N-C-H-E-L-L and uh, Reboots Podcast. I have a Facebook page for uh, the podcast on Instagram and Twitter. The same applies for both uh, Tracy Places and Reboots Podcast. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, and um, my email address is Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at Reboots, with an S, podcast.com. And I also want your listeners to know that I've put together a, a, a quiz um, that helps you kind of um, begin to assess whether or not you're ready for a reboot when unforeseen circumstances come your way mm-hmm. and that that give is at rebootspodcast.com change your story all one word it's just a little quiz with some um uh some articles that i've i've written 
about the key attributes for navigating a reboot. And um, I think at the end of that, at uh, the end of that give, there's a link to um, book a 15 minute, 20 minute call with me, something like that. I would be happy to visit with people on Skype about um, um, either reboots or um, how to tell a good story. Oh, I love it. Thank you very much. So rebootspodcast.com forward slash change your story, right? That's it. Beautiful. And Instagram, you said, and what was, uh, there was, there were two of them that were the same. What was it? Yeah. Uh, Instagram and Twitter is uh, at T-R-A-C-Y-P-L-A-C-E-S and at Reboots Podcast. Oh, at places. Huh? Yeah. Oh, um, okay. my, my very first blog way back in like the 90s or 2000 was called the Tracy Places blog. So that's a legacy account. And and you said at Reboots Podcast too? Uh, the Instagram is, is uh, yeah, Reboots Podcast. Yeah, and uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'll just send you links to all of these, and uh, maybe that'll help too. Beautiful. Yes, indeed. Any final thoughts for our storytellers today? Um, I love your assortment of guests and stories, and um, I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you, Lewis, and um, if I can ever be of service to you and your listeners, hit me up. Uh, it's going to be a hot summer in western Arkansas, and we asthmatic patients really need to stay in the air conditioning. So I'll, uh, I'll be eager to, to hang out and um, visit with some of your people if I can be of service. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, you talk about you love the assortment of my guests. Well, you're one of them, and you've enriched the show today. You're uh, thoughtful, articulate, and highly entertaining. Oh, thank you, Lewis. You are. I mean, you really contributed a lot to um, uh, to everyone here who's listening. And if they stop, just breathe, be in the moment, and take in some of the things you've shared with them, they'll be able to change their stories and mm. change their lives if they so choose. Thank it's you. It's a big thank deal. You. It's a very big deal and necessary. Yes, sir. I agree. Thank you. And thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Tracy Winchell. I'm always impressed by the fact that we get a feeling or a picture, a sense of who a person is, not just from the things they say, but from the way they say them, by the tone of their voice. And I think you'll agree that Tracy's tone is one that creates an image of a, a caring, loving, compassionate human being. It doesn't just create an image. I'm certain that is exactly who she is. That's why it was a joy to interview her, and I know that she delivered great value to you, too. Pay this forward. Let people know that they can hear the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And as Tracy suggested, 
remember to download the ebook, a free gift to you, on that site, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Go there and grab Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. And always remember to take advantage of the offer from our sponsor, Audible, to enrich your life with great audiobooks. You get to choose an audiobook from 180,000 titles. You get to download it and keep it absolutely free and get a month, one month free trial of all of Audible service by just going to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Many, many great things came up today in the interview with Tracy. A lot of them, I would say, showstoppers, game changers. If we just stop, listen, take them into our mindset and shift our thinking, we begin to grow and change. And one of the things that really struck me, speaking to a person who is who acknowledges herself as a storyteller, is that when you stop to think about it, you have no choice but to learn storytelling. Why is that? Because we are all storytellers by default. We are storytelling machines. And either we just allow the stories to occur randomly, and those stories will control our lives. We may not like where the kind of lives that they're shaping for us, or we become more aware and begin to create the stories that we want, which means we're creating the reality and the lives that we really desire. Make a choice. Decide today that that's what you're going to do that you're going to create a life of enrichment, growth, expansion, empowerment. Begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco.